0: We run it on qi a few years ago yeah um which was there's no such thing as a fish mean there's no such thing as a fish no seriously it's in the oxford dictionary of underwater life it says it right there first paragraph no such thing as a fish <laughs>
1: Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I'm sitting here with the regular three QI elves, Anna Chasinski, Andy Murray, and James Harkin. And we've got joining us today on fact-checking Judy Freddie Soames. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones in our offices to tell each other our favorite facts from the last seven days. So, in no particular order, here we go. First up, it's
0: James! (laughs) Uh, My fact this week is that the CEO of Levi's, Chip Berg, hasn't washed his jeans in more than a year.
2: So, when you first mentioned this to us... Yes... I thought that wasn't that surprising because I didn't really wash jeans and didn't realise that was a thing.
3: I was shocked and I wanted to know where his mother was <laughs> and I wash my jeans every day. But
2: Annie eats crisps off a plate. Come on. That's true. Can't trust his household habits. But um, apparently I'm right, right? So a, a jeans aficionado yeah. is on my side.
0: Well, there are lots of people <laughs> who think that you shouldn't wash jeans because it, um, it fades the colours and it spoils the fabric. But that's people who work for jeans companies not so much microbiologists (laughs) who tend to think that you probably should wash them because there's going to be lots of bacteria on there.
2: Um, So how much bacteria are we talking?
0: Okay so um, there was a a student at the University of Alberta called Josh Lay or Lee and um, he as an experiment wore the same pair of jeans for 15 months without washing them Uh, and after two weeks he found that he had um, around a thousand to two thousand bacteria um, per square centimeter that was on the front of the jeans 1500 to 2500 on the back and between 8000 and 10,000 in the crotch area
3: lovely wow. <laughs> i wonder how many more that is than we have on our skin yeah well Cause you yeah. do have bacteria on your skin
2: we have we have 10 times more bacterial cells than human cells in our bodies is that right yes That's right. most um, of them
3: are very small cells in the gut but 90 percent mm. of you is not human yeah and doesn't isn't that where
1: all the smell comes from I Dude. seem to remember saying this to you guys a long time ago, but that's where.
3: That's why you. you that's why you smell. smell. It's not you. It's the little animal lads. It's a very poor excuse on a date, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's not me. It's the ninety percent of cells which aren't me in my body.
2: So if someone ever says to you, "Oh, you smell of sweat today," you should say, "No, I smell of bacterial feces, actually, yes. <laughs> in yeah. your face." Where are you
3: going? <laughs> Don't get in that taxi. <laughs> I see promise for us. <laughs> Um, so
0: I don't know. Do you just not do anything with your jeans, Anna, or do you put them in the freezer like some people do?
2: I don't really understand this freezer thing.
1: What's
0: the freezer thing? Well, that's what this um, this guy from Levi says that um, instead of washing, you can cl- you can kill the bacteria by putting your jeans in the freezer. Oh. Uh, and one, it it means that it doesn't fade the jeans and what have you. But two, it also will save water, and apparently um, people are using a lot of water all the time mm. um, uselessly for washing mm. their jeans.
1: So that's a bit like, that's like a cool way of cleaning in the same way that, remember the person who used to have an asbestos um, tablecloth? and you'd Oh put yeah, it in the Charlemagne. Charlemagne. Was, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Do you know about that, Andy? No. Okay, so like Dan says, exactly that. He had an asbestos tablecloth. Right. After each meal, he would take it out, throw it in the fire, and then let the fire clean it, and then he would bring it out and use it again. Did he die young by any
1: chance? <laughs> no. Can I tell you my favorite thing about this Levi's fact? Yeah, go on. Is that... I just like that the head of Levi's wears Levi's. Yeah. It's just I love any time you hear a story where someone uses the thing that they created or, or that they're the head of.
0: Like mm. when I was wearing my No Such Thing as a Fish t-shirt at QI recordings this week. Exactly. Yeah.
3: They're of course available in in to buy online. In New Zealand. <laughs> not, not from us. Not from us. <laughs> yeah.
1: I like it even more so when you see the the company getting in trouble for something to do with their own company. Like for example, Jimmy Wales, who created Wikipedia got in trouble for editing his own Wikipedia page. Did he? Uh, which think, is the top well. line of what you're not meant to do. And he got busted for it. And I don't know what he was thinking, because it that's comes up as funny. edited by Jimmy Wales.
2: I think we tweeted this the other day, and, Freddie, you might have to check which unis they were, but there's an American uni that wrote uh, uh, guidelines on plagiarism, and it was all plagiarised from another American Oh, uni. yeah, and that's a go, great oh. fact. That was,
1: yeah, that's a, it's a QI tweet, if you can find that. Do we know who invented jeans, by the way?
3: Well, there's a difference between jeans and blue jeans. You know, the blue jeans that everyone wears today. Yeah. Were invented in the late nineteenth century in America. But this is cool, um there have been paintings discovered from the sixteen fifties where people are wearing the blue cloth sort of fixed in with white, which is the you know, the proper uh. Jean fabric. Um, The artist is unknown, but he's called the master of the blue jeans. And so, in in one, there's a peasant wearing a blue skirt, another, there's a boy in a ripped dark blue jacket, and it looks like they're wearing jeans in the 1600s. Yeah, yeah, and double denim. It's very, very cool. Um, Is that in
0: Nîmes? Because that's where it comes from, denim, doesn't it? Supposedly.
3: Denim is from Nîmes, or it's either there, or it's from Genoa in Italy, which is where they think we might get the word jeans from but that's not that's not blue jeans with the rivets in those those were the ones which took over the whole world
0: yeah Yeah. but levi's didn't call their product jeans did they for a long time um i think for the first 107 years they called them waist overalls (laughs) really we had a fact in one of our books that half of the world's population are wearing jeans at any one time oh yeah I um, can't remember where it came from. I think I it kind of, of missed, maybe. I know where it came from.
3: <laughs> oh, go on. Well, it was a man called Miller who visited lots and lots of countries. And in every country he visited, he stopped and counted the first hundred people to walk by. And in yeah. each one, he found that almost half the population were wearing jeans on any given day, which is unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. It's fantastic. I'm
1: wearing jeans now. I'm yeah. wearing jeans. Yeah, me
3: too. So around this I'm not table, wearing jeans. Yeah, around I was smelling, and I thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Just going back to um, not really washing, etc. Um, there was a, a very famous dirty celebrity um, in the um, 19th century, I think. Okay,
3: thank um, I thought you were going to say the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, he was called Dirty Dick. You know Dirty Dick's pub? Uh, oh, It's yeah. on Liverpool Street, near Liverpool Street Station, uh, on Bishop's Gate. Uh, and what happened was, on his uh, wedding day, his fiancée died, very sadly. And then after that, he refused to wash or clean for the rest of his life and lived in this place in in London. And he became really famous for being dirty and never washing. And if you sent any letters uh, addressed to the Dirty Warehouse London, they would always get to him because he was so famous for being dirty. Well, there
2: wasn't washing. Queen Victoria thought washing was really bad for you as well, didn't she? She, Most people did. Yeah, in Mm the 19th century,
1: very unfashionable. Okay, um, before we move on, uh, Freddie, have you got anything to add? Yeah, so um, the tweet that uh, was on uh, Wikipedia the other day was that. um, uh, a university in oregon has plagiarized the section on plagiarism in its student handbook um from the section on plagiarism in stanford university's handbook wow okay.
0: so good and, and we took that tweet from omg facts <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay let's uh move on to fact number two and this fact is my one uh it's a long one so I was I was just, I found this pretty astonishing. The first successful transatlantic flight, which happened in 1919, was made by two guys from Manchester. But it's one of those trips where uh, it was just a complete disaster, but they managed to do it. But my favorite bit about the fact is that at one point they got completely lost while they were in the air. They were just covered in cloud and fog, and when they came out of the cloud and fog, thinking that they were 13,000 feet in the air, it turned out they were only 60 feet above the water, and not only that, that they were flying sideways on a 90-degree angle to the surface what? of the ocean. Wow. <laughs> no. How would were they, they know? Know? I
3: always know when I'm at 90 degrees because of gravity. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> were they so tense while they were flying that they just didn't... Oh, so stiff and upright <laughs> that they
2: didn't They realize. were
1: so tense. Now, I, I, I got this from Bill Bryson's book, One Summer, America, 1927. He was saying this is how tense it was for them to do it. The guy who was in front, who was called Alcock was holding onto the wheel. They didn't have a cover over them. It was like a convertible plane. And the other guy's job, who was brown, had to sit forward and using his two index fingers as kind of windshield wipers on the goggles of Alcock. (laughs) That was his job, to basically just be wiping them away. He also had to jump out onto the wings of the plane six times in order to knock icing off. And get back on ice. Ice. You mean <laughs> ice. Sorry, I like, ice. <laughs> ice? They flew through the Great Cake Drift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. when, when was
3: this? What year was this Nineteen nineteen. 1919. Um, They did the first transatlantic yeah, yeah. crossing, but they went from Canada, didn't they? They went from Newfoundland it... yeah. to Ireland, yeah. Um, but at
1: one point, they even went the wrong way. They did a loop and started heading back towards Canada. <gasps> <Wow.
0: laughs> it is pretty easy to get disorientated, I think, when you're flying. Um, Shame on me, I can't remember who it was, but there was an explorer who was in a balloon, and he went up very, very high, and sort of passed out or fell asleep or something like that, and then when he woke up, um, he thought he'd landed, and so decided to get out of the plane to just walk on the snow which he saw below, and only when he was halfway out of the balloon did he realise that it wasn't snow, it was actually the clouds, and he was still (laughs) 20,000 feet up. Oh my god. Uh, In
1: 1914, when you look at the military use of of airplanes, uh, there's this fact here that the French Air Corps had the largest air force in the world, Larger than Germany, Britain, Italy, Russia, Japan, and Austria, all combined. And they only had three dozen planes. Mm. And that was the largest in the world. So
2: how many did the rest of us have? Four. (laughs) Each or between us? Each. We shared.
1: Each, and America had two. (laughs) And in the space of four years, they went up to Britain having 55,000, Germany having 48,000, Italy having 20,000. And France still had (laughs) thirty-six. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Do you want to hear something cool about Lindbergh? Yes, please. Who made the first solo flight from New York to Paris? He was the 19th person to cross the Atlantic in a plane.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Was he the
3: first solo then? He was the first solo New York to Paris. That was the thing. And New York is a a much further distance because obviously it's further down the coast. So lots of people talk about the amazing length he went to to cut down the weight of the plane. And he he even cut the top and the bottom off his map so that it would save a couple of ounces, um, but he also had this thing, uh, he said, I had an armburst cup, which is a device for condensing the moisture from human breath into drinking water. How cool is that? Mm. Why don't we still have these?
0: He didn't realise how um, famous he was going to be, did he? He knew he might be in the papers, so he, um, he subscribed to a cutting service that would send all the um, newspaper cuttings to his mother's house. Um, thinking it would just be a few, here or there. But of course it was in every single newspaper for days and days and days. <laughs> and by the end of his first week, his mother discovered to her horror that a fleet of trucks was preparing to deliver several tons of newspaper articles <laughs> to her <our> house. Wow.
1: <laughs> Reports were at the time, like if he left something on his plate, you know, a meal, like corn on the cob, the waiters would fight over it because that would become wow. a really precious like item. Like a drummer's
3: drumstick after a gig. Yeah, exactly. But an actual drumstick. <laughs> um,
2: so, the Wright Flyer was the Wright Brothers plane that they first flew. And what's the highest altitude that any part of it
1: reached? Oh. Ooh, uh, 20 uh, feet. 30 feet. I'm thinking it's a
0: QI <laughs> question, so I think I know the answer.
1: Yeah,
2: go on. Is it the moon? It's so the moon.
1: Oh. <laughs> well done.
2: <laughs> Ooh, of course. <laughs> Another one of Neil's little trinkets. Who brought it up? Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong brought it up. to brought up a bit of the wing. Maybe. We
1: had, a few series ago, Buzz Aldrin on Museum of Curiosity, sister show to QI and No Such Thing as a Fish, uh, cousin of No Such Thing as a Fish, and I found this fact that I hadn't read in any of his biographies. I can't even remember where I found it now, but I, I mentioned it to him in person because I thought this is going to be amazing to say to Buzz Aldrin. I discovered that his dad was mates with one of the Wright brothers. So within the father's lifetime, he knew the first person to fly a plane, and his son became the second person to stand on the moon. And so I said to him, you might have actually met him because you were at the same Air Force base where your dad and he worked. Mm -hmm. And he went, yeah, I guess so. And he just wasn't interested at all (laughs) I I thought i delivered the ultimate I think it's the way you tell
3: him Dan
2: (laughs) (laughs) the Wright brothers dad told them that they were never allowed to fly together didn't he because he was worried that one of them was going to die so they only flew together once in their whole lives and you know on that so after their first flight in the Wright flyer um, in 1903, I think it was then so they, they took turns flying and they had goes on it and they flew further and further and then they had a chat about it stood next to the plane had a chat about it and the Wright flyer never flew again after that day because a gust of wind picked it up and flipped it Over a bunch of times and broke it. Oh really? (laughs) Yeah, just as they were talking, they're like, Oh shit, there goes that. Do
0: you guys know who was the first woman to fly solo in an aeroplane?
3: Is it not a female lady human? Is it a female animal? Is it a female ant? Is it a
1: tortoise?
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's not even a QI thing, it's just a question. (laughs) And it's a question to which none of you know the answer. (laughs) Tell us the answer, goddammit. It was Blanche Stuart Scott. Of course. Because the story was quite good because she was the first woman to fly solo in an airplane. She reached 40 feet and it was in 1910. Uh, And she was a friend of an aviator called Glenn Curtis. And he, like was a time in in those days, nobody thought a woman should really be in an airplane. And um, he allowed her to sort of taxi around um, the airfield in the airplane, but she wasn't allowed to take off and then something happened we don't know what happened uh, on september the 2nd in 1910 and she managed to take off and ended up going up to 40 feet in the air and no one really knows how she managed to do it because what he would do is he, he would insert a block of wood behind the throttle to stop her from reaching the necessary speed to take off and well, then did he suddenly... assume that
3: a woman would not have the intelligence to remove a block of wood <laughs> <laughs> from behind a throttle because my theories that's probably what she did <laughs> or it might have come loose itself
1: and did she land it yeah so she, she didn't die no she didn't die okay that's good news
2: good cool. blanche i have a fun fact about the guy who invented the autopilot oh okay. cool um who was lawrence ferry who i think you're familiar with andy yeah but so he also inadvertently invented something else which was the mile high club Sorry, I was going to make that like a tension thing where I got you to guess, and then I just decided to tell you the answer. Um, so, yeah, in 1916, he was giving flying lessons to this socialite called Mrs. Waldo Pierce, whose husband, to make this story a bit more poignant, was driving an ambulance in France at the time in the war. He, her husband was friends with Ernest Hemingway by coincidence. Um, so Lawrence Sperry, autopilot inventor, Mrs. Waldo Pierce go up in his plane. He uses his autopilot um, to fly the plane for a while while he has a quick uh, bit of... Uh, whatever euphemism we want to give it. How's your father? Rumpy pumpy. With Mrs. Waldo, um, and the plane crashed. Something went wrong with the autopilot. People think that they kicked it during their relations and kicked the autopilot, of course, and the plane crashed into a duck pond and they were found unclothed by duck
3: hunters. Fortunately, her husband was driving an ambulance nearby. <laughs> yes. <at the> time.
2: <laughs> Sperry claimed they'd been divested by the force of the crash when they emerged what a from fantastic. the plane, not wearing any clothes.
1: Fantastic. Oh, my God. But- Isn't there a fact that the first ever hot air balloon trip There was some hanky-panky going on in there as well. Not the first ever, because I think that was the Montgolfier brothers. (laughs) That's the one. (laughs) Um,
3: George Biggin and Letitia Sage went up in a balloon, organised by an Italian man called Lunardi, but he got out just at the last minute, and it went over Piccadilly, and as it went over Piccadilly, people could see Sage on all fours, um, although she maintained that... She was not having sex. I think she said she was looking for something, although I can't remember for sure. And all of all of her clothes had fallen off in the excitement of going yeah. up. And so then later on in these big wager books that they have in London clubs, um, one one wager reads, Lord Chumbly has given two guineas to Lord Derby to receive 500 guineas whenever his lordship plays hospitals with a woman in a balloon a thousand yards from the earth.
2: <laughs> Maybe people's clothes were just much more poorly designed <laughs> in the olden days.
3: Maybe they just never washed their jeans and they
2: just <laughs> fell off. <laughs> Crumbling away.
1: Okay, um, time for back number three, and that is Anna's.
2: Uh, yeah, my fact is that in 2007, a woman called Evan Latimer inherited Napoleon's penis from her father. So <laughs> that happened. <laughs> yep. Um, so basically, at Napoleon's autopsy in 1921, there were 17 doctors present. Um, and it's thought that the main his physician, his main doctor, cut off his penis. We know that bits of his body were removed, so his heart was removed because he wanted it sent to his wife, his estranged wife, although it never got to her, and there's a theory that it was eaten by rats. Oh. Um, and anyway, then it was later admitted by one of the doctors who was there that other bits of Napoleon's body were also removed. So it resurfaced at the beginning of the 20th century from the family of the priest, who was also present at the autopsy, whom the physician had given it to, um, and... Yeah, it was put up, it was sold to a collector and it's been sold at various auctions and it's been on display in New York in 1977. How much did they sell it for? Only $3,000 he bought it for. In Although, 1977,
3: that would have been more money.
2: A bit more, but not also, that much. Also, it was
3: questionable whether it was his penis at all but was this woman upset that you know did her elder sister get the duke of wellington's penis in the well or something <laughs> was it was the whole bequest penises maybe one she size might have been because his penis is
2: certainly diminutive it measures 1.5 inches now and there is a defense that it wasn't very well preserved so there's been some shriveling yeah, but it is, I mean, it's I'm... been likened to various things it's, it's been <laughs> likened over the years by people who've seen it to shriveled eel beef jerky and a bit of leather um, and it's 1.5 inches.
3: Um, yeah, it was described as a mummified tendon, I believe, when he removed it. Which yes. is a very delicate way of describing a severed penis. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Certainly better
3: than shriveled eel.
2: <laughs> I first read this fact in a book called The Antiques Magpie, which is really good. Um, and it's written by an antiques roadshow expert. He thinks that the reason the willy was lopped off was because the physician was annoyed at being left out of Napoleon's will. Oh, so.
1: well, I, read, I read it it was the chaplain who wanted it done as an act of revenge um, because uh, Napoleon kept calling him impotent.
2: Well, he did give it to the chaplain. So maybe they both had a chat in the pub one night and he was like, I'm really pissed off in Napoleon. I'm not in his will. And the chaplain was like, I'm pissed off in Napoleon too. He's called me impotent. And they agreed to it. Well, maybe, so. they, what?
3: M- maybe they each got half, which explains its size.
2: That's such a good point. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's actually three inches. We've been unfair. <laughs>
3: The thing is that after Napoleon was captured at Waterloo, all of his belongings were sent on tour around England, very much like the X Factor Roadshow today, for example. (laughs) So his carriage was sent around the country, and it drew crowds. It had little objects that he had owned, like a, a gold tongue scraper, a flesh brush, and a chocolate pot.
2: i sorry, what's a flesh brush? I
3: think, I'm not certain, it's a brush with hard bristles that you use to stimulate your skin and oh. stimulate blood flow, but I am not certain.
1: Did you guys know that this this is a bit of research that I did in the B series and no one liked it? Napoleon um, had a little genie that he used to talk to called is the that Red that what he Man. called it? <laughs> <told> <laughs>
0: Little 1.5-inch <laughs> dried-up genie. Honestly,
2: it's small, but it works magic. <laughs> just rub it just,
1: rub it, just rub it. <laughs> um, no, he, he had a... Um, it, it's apparently someone who, before big battles, used to come from the stars called the Red Man. Is what he called him, the Red Man. And he first appeared during the Battle of the Pyramids. And supposedly, Napoleon said he made a pact, a 10-year pact with this genie. Oh,
3: wow. that
0: weird. Uh, Rasputin's penis, uh-huh. that was sold. Um, and it turned out later to be a dried-up piece of sea cucumber. <laughs> oh. And not a penis at all. Just,
3: can you imagine all the women who were disappointed in the bedroom by that?
0: <laughs> um, and just Tutankhamun, another famous person, was the only mummy uh, who was buried with an erect penis. Wow. What, someone uh, else's or his own? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: one of the best sentences said out loud in this office, I'm convinced, was one night when me and James were sitting here. Uh, and putting music to one of the no such thing as a fish podcasts and in a moment of silence where James saw Oh, I've got you know, I should just start a conversation. James said to me. Hey, did you know over 600 men in the world have two dicks? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that is true 600 like, men have two dicks. There was a circus performer who had two penises Really, Remember him? No, um can't remember no, no name, I, I, missed, so come, I missed that. <laughs> I missed <laughs> when I was seven that
3: Zippo's circus. <laughs> you were concentrating, concentrating on the clouds and, and the elephants. elephants. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. I can see the man exposing himself by the door of the tent. um that's true. Amazing. I'm not sure he was part of the
0: circus. I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about it, it might be two men. <laughs> So, the guy was called um, Juan Baptista dos Santos, and he was known as the man with two penises. Uh, And he was born in Faro, in Portugal, in uh, 1843. And um, in 1865, he turned down the sum of 200,000 francs to appear for two years with a French circus.
2: Huh. Impressive guy.
3: That would be very difficult for his tailor, though. Uh, Which way does Sir dress? To the left? Uh, No, actually, both. (laughs) Both to the left and the right.
1: Okay, moving on to our final fact of the show, fact number four, Andy, yours.
3: My fact is, to say I don't care about something, a German person has the option of saying, it's sausage to me. (laughs) (laughs) Or in German, das ist mir Wurst. Um, Yeah, so there's a rich uh, heritage of sausage sayings in Germany. Um, There's another one which suggests that it's very important, is that sausage is very important, where you say, uh, is geht um die Wurst? which is, it's all about the sausage. Um, Anyway, this is from a blog on uh, Oxford Dictionary's website, from the OUP. They have other ones, like, um, If you're sulking, you are playing the offended liver (laughs) pâté. Die beleidigte Leberwurst spielen.
0: (laughs) That's like, I think that's like referring to the bottom lip sticking out, isn't it? It's like a bit of a liver. is it? I think so, yeah.
2: They have a sausage academy, I believe. Do they? What? You can get a sausage diploma... Um, In Germany, you can get... (laughs) Hang on, is it a diploma that's
0: also a a sausage? It's a
2: real thing.
0: I also have a sausage diploma. I got it from Bangor University.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, no, Anna's right. There's uh, 1,300 students have earned certificates.
2: At the Sausage Academy, they learn things like what's the right mustard to put with what sausage and which is the best lager to drink with it. In
0: America, they have the um, National Hot Dog um, Academy, and they do a similar thing. They have rules about eating hot dogs. Uh, and so, for instance, one of them is don't take more than five bites to finish a hot dog. For footlong wiener, seven bites are acceptable. <laughs> and also, don't use ketchup on your hot dog after the age of 18. Mustard, relish, onions, cheese, and chili are acceptable.
3: The first hot dog eating competition was held in 1916, uh, which I think was in the States, so the year before they entered the war when they were still lurking around. And the winner ate 13 frankfurters. I don't know in what timescale that was but recently the le- the latest record i've found was from last year where a man ate 69 hot dogs in 10 minutes with buns
1: i i highly recommend to anyone listening if they want to find out more about this kind of hot dog eating competition stuff uh, i just read an article by john ronson in his book lost at sea called the hunger games and he interviews the top the person who set that record that andy just read out uh, it's him into john ronson interviewing him and it's Phenomenal, the industry The great
3: breakthrough was um, A very small, slight looking I think Japanese Japanese, man Who came up with the incredible innovation That you don't have to chew your way through the buns You dip them in water which makes them a lot smaller, a lot easier to swallow quickly, and revolutionise the game. But that actually, was the Fosbury Flop moment in competitive <laughs> hot dog eating. <laughs> but
0: actually, there is controversy whether you should be allowed to do that or it not. It sounds I think. like cheating yeah, to I me. Think, I, th-
3: I definitely think you shouldn't, I'm afraid to say. No. Yeah.
1: Um, I found a, there's a Japanese book... Uh, which is it's published in Edinburgh, and it's called The Insider's Guide to Scotland, obviously, though, with a Japanese title. That's the translated title. And in the book, uh, they um, advise anyone from Japan visiting Scotland to avoid eating the sausages.
0: Oh. Yeah. Um, speaking of um, parts of the UK and sausages, um, there is a Welsh product called Dragon Sausages, and it had to be taken off the shelves because it didn't contain any dragons. <laughs> <Rightly> <laughs> so. Yeah, a Powys County Council spokesman said the product was not sufficiently precise to inform a purchaser of the true nature of the food <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a man called David Harding in London who's become the first official sausage addict and he's spent two, more than two grand on therapy to try and get over it because um, he can't live, he says, "I genuinely cannot bear the thought of living without sausages." He thinks he's had at least one sausage a day since he was three. Wait well,
3: and he's having therapy. To, why would Why would you need therapy to get over that? Just buy. They're not going anywhere. <laughs> just buy another sausage. Oh yeah, that's that's your attitude to all drugs, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good point. <laughs>
0: cocaine everywhere. Why don't you just carry on?
3: Just <laughs> like, a Just have it. some more cocaine, for <laughs> heaven's <laughs> sake. Man up. Um, sausages are very elderly. Um, (laughs) they are they've got
2: a long and noble history haven't
3: they I've found a lot of things online I need to properly stack it up but I think they're older than ancient Rome yes which is cool I'm pretty sure they are Um, I think Homer
2: mentions one
3: there's an Aristophanes play called The Knights as in Knights of the Round Table uh, in which a sausage seller uh, beats a demagogue in conversation over politics because he knows how to do all the stuff like mincing up policies and stuff them and dress them up looking all nice and pretty. So ah. yeah.
0: Okay. Well that's the thing they say laws are like sausages, don't they?
3: Yeah.
2: Was it, Bismarck? it was Bismarck? I think it was Bismarck who said it. Um laws are like sausages, it's best not to watch them being made. Yeah something, something like, like that.
0: that. <laughs> so we're talking about how old sausages are. Um they were banned Um, Or blood sausages were banned by uh, Leo the Wise. He ruled in the um, 10th century, and he banned the blood sausage, and the pronouncement was like this. It said, We hereby forbid all persons either to use or sell it, and we give notice that if anyone should, in contempt of divine law, have been found to have prepared blood as food, whether he sells or buys it, he shall have all his property confiscated. Wow. And... After being severely scourged and disgracefully shaved, he shall be exiled for life. (laughs) Disgracefully (laughs)
1: shaved. (laughs) What is that? That's wonderful. That's very funny. Um,
2: The Catholic Church banned them in the 4th century as well, because they were thought to be a part of pagan rituals, which they were
1: often. Hey, this is really exciting. There's, uh, There's a bunch of forgotten grim fairy tales stories. And one of them is called The Mouse, The Bird, and The Sausage. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> a mouse and a bird and a sausage set up a house together for a while and things are going well. Bird's job was to fly into the forest every day, bring back wood. Mouse carried water, lit the fire, set the table. Sausage did the cooking.
3: <laughs> Making
1: sure their meals were properly flavoured by rolling around in them. <laughs> um, I think we should um, wrap up. Yeah, okay. Uh, Freddie, do you want to add anything before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I have one thing. Um, It's kind of mundane, but... Uh, Pretty impressive all the same. So Asda um, actually commissioned in 2000 uh, the creation of the world's longest sausage. And it was made in um, Sheffield and it measured
0: uh, 59.14 kilometres. Kilometers? Kilometers, Kilometers, yeah,
1: 36.75 miles. Wow. (laughs) Did
3: they just not turn on the thing which divides the sausages up, you know? Uh, So they just have a continuous production line of one (laughs) sausage. That (laughs) must be it.
1: Oh, that's great. Good fact.
3: That's good. They also won the world's most frightening penis metaphor with that.
1: (laughs) Napoleon
2: looked on with envy.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's it for this episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. That is all of our facts. If you want to talk to us about any of the things that we've mentioned in this podcast, you can get us all on our Twitter handles. I'm at Schreiberland. Anna is... Not on Twitter still, but if you have, have you quest- seen the push? There's a big push for you to get on Twitter now.
2: From you three. Trending
1: in this office only. <laughs> yeah.
2: But if you do want to ask any questions about the podcast, if you go to uh, qi.com slash podcast, and there's uh, the email address you can write to me on.
1: There you go. You can oh, write to Anna fun. on there. James? Uh, my Twitter is at eggshaped. Andy?
3: At Andrew Hunter M.
1: And Freddie? Uh, my Twitter is at F. Soames. You can also head over to qi.com slash podcast where we're going to have all sorts of extra information, videos and links that you can click onto and explore further into the stories that we've been talking about. We'll be back again next week with another episode. Until then, goodbye.